Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys have had a lovely holiday season and the rest of the holiday season that is approaching. Um, I am here this week with Liam and Shelby, and we are continuing to read Being Salmon. Being Not Shelby. Did I just say Shelby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shelby, I'm sorry. Wow. Sandra. I can be Shelby. <laughs> you want to be Shelby this week? Well, so you're Kendi. that doesn't help it doesn't <laughs> help all right um Shelby's here with us in spirit I'm pretty sure <laughs> so, <laughs> and we're here with the real Kendra um but we are that was embarrassing whoops um we are continuing with our book and we are on chapters three and four this week where we talked about the third chapter three was exploited captives and chapter four um was keystone and before we started recording we were just like oh my god these two chapters were a lot because they were a lot but they were really good also this whole book is good I wish I could like like I'm like there are so many quotes that I just like want to pull from this book and like frame or like tattoo on my body and I'm like could I just do the whole book because it's great (laughs) um but how is everybody doing this week good all right, here. Sorry, Kendra, you saying something? It was a good lot of snow, and then we just got back from a little vacation. Vacation, we love. Vacation. Amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, just a lot of snow, a lot of, a lot of destroying the computer. That's what, that's what I was doing. That's I was, I, I, I managed. I was, just, I was. I mentioned Eric. Eric, I mentioned this to you as a joke uh, a while, but uh, the last time that we uh, met, it was we were focusing a lot on um, the Renaissance portion and some of the original uh, scientific, uh, the uh, the scientific process when it first yeah. happened, and how it, there was a, everyone had a philosophy of just ripping things apart. And that was <laughs> and that, that's basically what I was doing. I was experiencing nice. that renaissance primal instinct of just ripping everything apart but just doing it to just some old computer i bought off of ebay well that sounds like fun and maybe it'll give you some special insight into our topics because there were there we touched upon ripping things apart in at least chapter three yeah that's good i'm glad everybody is doing well um yeah, I saw snow in Colorado. I was in Colorado for Christmas and saw snow. And I was like, this is cool for like the two days that I saw it, but it's not necessary. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's cool that you were doing that. Um, I um, just wanted to update people and let them know I'm still going to be trying to keep with the bi-weekly posting schedule for normal episodes and for this on alternating weeks. So this would be one week and then the episodes would be another week. Um, the first couple weeks of uh, January might be a little bit different, though. Um, I'm getting my captain's license next month, and Yay! I'm going to Florida to go help out a family member. So, um, like, next month is a little bit of craziness, and I've been working on a project for the last several months that I think I'll be able to tell people about, like, within a month or so, which is pretty exciting. So, just an update for the listeners. Um, but yeah, so we'll go ahead and just dive into this book, um, Exploited Captives. Um, I always find it like interesting to read and talk about captivity, like especially 
like we talk so much about captivity with orcas or at least a lot of the conversation around captive animals has been around orcas and then um in this like first chapter we really got into like the philosophy of things of like keeping captive uh salmon and what does that mean um do you guys want to share your thoughts Kendra um <laughs> Yeah, I really like that part. And just going into the like capitalism and what it has done in our food industry, and in this case, specifically with salmon, and mm -hmm. what that means for animals, and then just the whole conversation of what does domesticated mean, which is how like we reference animals that we usually keep captive or are not wild is that they're domesticated. But what does that really mean? Um, because there are so many ways you can look at it. And I think um, there was one line that I liked in the bit where it was talking about the Greek origin and mm -hmm. the Latin for um, domesticate, which is domus. And then in Greek, it's um, okos, but that they're both different things, but it's domus is house in Latin, okos is house in Greek. And in Latin, we use domus for domesticate, but in Greek, okos goes into ecology and economy, but they both mean house. Um, but then at the end of this, this bit on page 37, it's saying that basically what we mean by domesticated when humans say the word is anything human is saying it, it's not wild. So when we've domesticated it, we've made it not wild. And that implies that places that humans inhabit are no longer wild which I just found a very interesting topic to explore just mm -hmm. when you think about it, like how we just don't consider ourselves wild. And it goes into the whole discussion that I hate where people say that we're invasive species, that humans are invasive or we're alien to the planet. And yes, we do harm, but humans are an animal on this planet. Mm -hmm. And when we treat ourselves like we're, which we're awful, I'm not saying humans are not awful. I think humans suck. But humans can not suck. No. Uh, the way we live does. And I would say a lot of times society is that way. Um, what we've done. Anyway, beside the point. But it's just an interesting discussion as to um, humans not being wild and anything that we think are close to us is also not wild. What we consider domesticated, that's not wild. When like there's wild spaces. And I think we should be wanting to be more wild because I think our problem is that, yeah, we're not. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I found the, the discussion on them talking about the different definitions and um, how different people have viewed them at different points. It was interesting and how at one point, like domestications and they were talking about chickens they were like it's a mutually beneficial thing because like you would provide care to the chicken the place for them to live they would provide you eggs and now it's gotten to a point where it's like essentially these animals have no autonomy over themselves mm -hmm. and it's like they are reliant upon humans in this sense and I like I definitely have been like humans are an invasive species like in a sense like obviously like not in the same definition of like a animal that has say lived in Africa that is now living in like Ohio, like the zebra mollusk, for example, you know, mm -hmm. not like yeah. that. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. I think that we have moved away from what has historically been a natural way of living. And like, also like, you know, nature when it's on its own and not exploited typically has a good way of balancing itself and is fairly resilient. And like, we've definitely thrown nature out of its balance, but yeah, I do. It's like a very interesting topic of like what is natural and what's not. And like, I think that is something that I think about on a daily basis, like how unnatural our lives are of just like every, like, and you don't really have a choice either. It's like, you have to just participate and get a job and like go somewhere so that you can pay your bills. And like, unless you become super rich to where you just like, (laughs) you don't have to, don't have to, or if you decide to go like live in a van and like do random things for money here and there, like, uh, yeah, which is still like a massive privilege. It is still, Um, but no, I, I, that part about the chicken, how it says, um, it worked well for both parties until factory farming. And one, I liked the implication that in, history chickens knew living with humans would give them comfort and they probably understood maybe maybe not but like chickens die like they're not I don't think they were puzzled when they were dying and they were still choosing to be around humans not saying they're choosing to die but that that kind of a relationship got skewed when we massively started farming these animals and then like massively genetically modifying them there's a lot of issues with farm with big factory farming and that's kind of like the issue I have like I'm not vegan I'm not against eating meat by any means I am against the way that we have been doing it for years because of factory farming both of ocean wildlife so like what we're doing with salmon Mm -hmm. both with chicken cows and even with our grain with our produce there's a really good documentary. This is for people who are just interested in the discussion of the harm of farming in general, but it's called sustainable. And I think it's the best documentary to talk about the food issue. Cause it's not pushing a vegan agenda. Cause I don't like those kind of documentaries. Right. And it goes into like how most of our grain, like we, most of the land use in like the States, for example, is to grow grain, to feed our chickens and cows. Mm-hmm. And it's all like the same crop. So if anything ever happened to that crop, because it's so genetically modified, it's all the same and could get wiped out almost instantly if some kind of weird disease hit it. Mm. Um, And how like, there are so many different types of corn, but we only do like two Mm. when there's like all kinds of amazing different corn that was native to the US that we're kind of losing, stuff like that. Very interesting. And it goes into chickens and cows and that kind of of farming, but that we see that with, chickens and now fish and it's damaging and it's not like it's just capitalism like I just that's how I think about it we are just and I think the part that highlighted that sorry I'm just say one more thing the beginning of the like the very first page of the chapter where it talked about the anthropologist going to visit the salmon farm mm-hmm. and the salmon farm or industrial salmon rearing unit had 500,000 fish And in comparison, 500,000 fish is roughly the equivalent to all free roaming Atlantic salmon who returned to Norway in the year 2010, which was the year that they wrote their piece. Wild. I read that. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's definitely a madhouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just interesting to like, see the way that they've, that we've come to domesticate salmon. And there was a a part in here where they um, talked about like when people, there are people that will hand feed salmon 
like the little pellets and they said that it wasn't like because of the salmon were hungry or whatever but it was like an opportunity to connect um but I remember, I can't remember if it was in this book, like when I read it the first time or somewhere else, but I remember hearing something that like a lot of salmon farmers won't like look the salmon in the eye or like look at it. Like they just like look away from it because it's really hard. I want to say that that was in this chapter. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I think I've read that somewhere too. So maybe we've read the same thing, but I think there was like a line or something in this chapter about that. Yeah. Um, Because it also talked about the the social lives of salmon, what agency means for an animal in captivity. Um, And then it kind of hinted at like the culture of salmon and how they don't actually have agency because the only choice they have is to eat. Absolutely. Which is quite sad for an animal that has like traditionally traveled like thousands of miles gone from like streams to the ocean and like now you're just like hanging out eating some pellets like no sir thank you yeah well and it the part where it delved into this the life of the smolts Mm -hmm. and how again this chapter was just for me capitalism consumerism with salmon and how we will create the artificial lighting to so you can have salmon year-round because ideally we're not ideally but in a natural world where we can't just farm everything we'd only have certain things in certain seasons but we have salmon year-round just like we have apples we have peaches we have all these things year-round because and the way they do it with fish is with this artificial lighting that triggers their like biological and morphological changes Mm -hmm. which is just wild to me I know like it's scientific like it's but it's, it's just wild that we're at a point where we can literally manipulate seasons yeah yeah it's crazy what did you think liam uh i found chapter three kind of interesting uh definitely um how uh diving into that sort of conflict of what exactly um what exactly it means to be domesticated and what uh salmon is um to uh, to people for the past, or to Western civilization uh, for the past, you know, couple of hundred, uh, you know, for the past couple hundred years or so. And yes, uh, Kendra's, you know, pointed out all those things, uh, those all those uh, things about how. Um... <laughs> oh shoot! I just lost my train of thought there. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, but it just, you know, I, I. I found I uh, was reading and I found a lot of uh, same sort of things as Kendra did. Um, the uh, one thing that I uh, wanted to point out um, on the topic of of those words of um, of uh, of what domesticated you know what those words came from both from Latin and Greek um, and what those words originally meant like how uh, like how they both meant house but they both um, ended up uh, into, you know, words like domesticated and words like ecology. And I think that idea, if, if I can get this to make sense, is, is, um, is interesting since it, it kind of shows um, that the basis for any sort of thinking, whether it be in, in uh, learning about the environment or using the environment, it, it emphasizes the idea that, um, that humans are either separate or they're either separate and or superior. 
kind of thing. So we're, so already, even in the beginnings of like wanting to study the natural world, we already had this, or, the, or at least the West had this preconceived notion of, um, of, us, being, of us being separate, of us being uh, superior, that kind of thing. I guess that's uh, that's the uh, best way that I can put it. And then, yeah, on the topic of what exactly is domestication, because if domestic, you know, if because um, another way of looking at domestication is um, is um, is someone is one one uh, piece of that relationship having a duty to serve another, which supposedly uh, may imply that domestication means that. Uh, that uh, that one is not e is one is superior than the other. You know that they are not uh, equal, and uh, that and that. But yeah, so that was one of the uh, passages. That's one of the uh, uh, thoughts that um, those two uh, anthropologists came up with. And then there was another person named Michael Pollan who came up with an idea of of maybe domestication was or should be not 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 just what they can do for, not just what you know what they can do for us but also what we can uh, do for them kind of thing sort of and yeah I do think that with industrialization that sort of um, that's been kind of thrown uh, out of balance in a way because it's it's gone from a not quite symbiotic relationship but it, it's gone from a relationship where um, we help each uh, of uh, of supporting um, each other to give each other's uh, to give each other a product to one's just making the product and one's control and another's uh, controlling it for profit and there's very little to no benefit being given back in a way that's yeah yeah absolutely I think you hit the nail on the head of just like how. Um, things have, have gone from maybe us being an, like interconnected part of nature to exploiting and taking over and manipulating nature to the point where we're literally manipulating seasons so that we can have something yeah. all the time, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I think that this definitely opened up like an interesting conversation. I also do think it's interesting to bring it up around orcas who like when we think of like captive orcas, we think of SeaWorld and all these marine parks where we're asking the animals to like breach, you know, for money. And then these guys, it's like, we're not asking the salmon to like breach for entertainment. It's like, we're, it's because that we want to eat them and make money off of them. I do think it's interesting to, again, that they bring up these themes of like, um, with science, like you have to have a very sterile view of things, which I think it is definitely important to be objective, but again, it is, I think, human nature to have a connection to other parts of nature other than yourself and, you know, to be curious and have a sense of empathy. Um, and I definitely, like, find that super interesting. There was a quote in here, I wonder if I can find it, let's see, um, where they talked about empathy and, like, how, like, potentially here it is. Um, so this is at the end of the chapter. It says, it's the second to last paragraph. The narrative of separation as enchanted by the salmon feedlot industry needs to actively counteract empathy with other than human living beings. Empathy is a spontaneous experience that forcefully shatters any notions of being wholly separate. This in our present 
this is our pressure point. If the artificial separation of us and them requires us to actively unlearn empathy with other animals, then to mend the rift, we must practice a reverse strategy to actively create the condition for empathy to make uh, itself felt again. Um, which I just thought that that was interesting because I mean, humans are naturally emotional creatures and I think a lot of societies try to get people not to be because it is very much convenient for a capitalistic society to separate yourself from the emotions of another being, whether that be a human or a non-human animal. Um, it just makes exploitation easier. And um, I just thought it was a much, uh, it was a very interesting thing to bring up. And I feel like if you bring up the concept of like empathy, like you just get laughed at of like, oh, like, we should care about something other than ourselves, which I think is yeah. sad. Well, yeah. I think that's, especially toward, oh, cool. yeah, especially toward, you know, uh, animals. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, too far, you know, into this. Um, but I guess on that, that topic, that idea where it's, well, yeah. So if you're trying to empathize with an animal that you're laughed at, or you are, or you are said that, or you're called, or you're saying, or someone tells you to not anthropomorphize, basically. Yes, essentially. I think, yeah, I, I mean, think I'm it not, can go both ways, just because, yeah, like, people can't anthrop. I think what it gets dangerous is when you're assigning them human emotions. Like, I prefer when people talk about it in the sense these animals have culture and lives it may not it doesn't even need to be that they have to have emotions mm -hmm. we know they can feel pain because emotions are complex and yes they may feel things but I like I can see where like people can get laughed at but there is a line that you we shouldn't cross where we get too anthropomorphic because it gets to it is a little ridiculous from like the from just any yeah. standpoint because we can't we can't know for sure we can't know yeah, we can we know that know like sure. like we don't know if a salmon had is like happy happy in terms of like how we feel happiness right. but we can say they have a culture and when they're treated a certain way that's taken away and that detriments them in a way that it affects like we see it affects them like how like we, it's yeah. noted in the book yeah like we can feel we can feel the we can feel empathy but you know not actually we we can feel empathy um if it if it well and we can feel empathy without putting emotions in their mouth basically yeah like we don't need to yeah. be like octopus are happy and they feel sad to be like hey maybe we just like shouldn't go messing with every octopus you see when you're diving or whatever because then people should be able to empathize with something without needing to relate and make it a human Absolutely. because yeah, I think absolutely. that's part of that's why I don't like that's why I like the part in the book where they're talking about what it means when humans aren't wild and how Liam said we're seen as being superior or better and that's why we act a certain way with our environment that's why we aren't considered the things we do as wild because then it just kind of it it all binds together in how we view things and then we only feel sympathy if it's like us but it doesn't need to be like us for us yeah. to respect it we don't need to assign an orca that they're depressed to be like oh like maybe this tank that's super small or super dirty or whatever the issue is to see that that's not okay yeah most definitely and I yeah. like I was thinking about that like as you were saying that of like you know we don't need to say that a certain animal feels a certain thing and I think one of the reasons why so many people 
are more likely to care about the orca than the salmon is because they are, you know, more relatable to a human. I mean, partially, I think that's because that there's more exposure, like people have more access to orcas than I think they do salmon. They look a lot cooler. Yeah, Yeah, they (laughs) look a lot cooler. And that salmon, you know, yeah. And that's just salmon, salmon are still seen as a product, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I like that the book is like almost, I don't think we've gotten there yet, but it's, he is slowly insinuating that salmon have a culture and no, it's not how orcas talk to each other with their vocalizations. It's not like staying with your mother orca or whatever until you're, you're both dead basically, but it's that they are migrating. It's that some choose to stay. It's, it's those things. And that is a culture for the animal. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, I like that he, he just gives a new perspective and I think he's pushing the boundaries of the way that we view animals. And I think that incorporating philosophy and other um, aspects into the conversation that aren't purely scientific are important. And we don't necessarily need to take everything that's said as like fact and as truth. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it definitely is like, just, it's good to exercise your brain in a different way and like approach things differently because the way that we're, we're continuing to approach things isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we, we, moving on to chapter four, Keystone. Um, I thought this, this is definitely like a really important chapter just because it talks about the importance of salmon. Um, but I think the coolest thing to come out of this, um, like these two chapters is on page 58, it talks about there was once, um, a um, saber-toothed salmon, a fish who could weigh up to 350 pounds, roughly the weight of an adult panda. What? What? That's freaking insane. That's amazing. Yeah. Panda salmon. You can even see like in some of those like famous old pictures, uh, well, not necessarily famous, but if you look at some of the pictures, you can kind of see, you know, with salmon being more salmon being much larger back then you can kind of see where it where what you know what their state used to be or what they're or what they're related to yeah um but like that's insane that's so cool um but um so he gives like a little definition of what a keystone species is on page 59 it says a keystone is that uppermost stone in an arc of bricks the central one that holds the entire construction in place in its absence gravity will bring down the arc of a rapid or to a rapid collapse so basically salmon is a keystone species salmon is super important um and he talks about like the nutrients of salmon um so after they die he like they give 90 percent of their weight to the sea so they have a ton of marine nutrients in their body Um, And whenever they spawn or whenever they die, um, proteins, fats, and nutrients that are like nitrogen or phosphorus um, will go back into those streams and like into the ocean. So it's really important for keeping like our soil in good condition, our trees running. And I like bring this up. I think I brought it up a lot, but Deborah Giles told me once that you can find the DNA of salmon in trees. So super important for that. Um, but I mean, basically like salmon's been here for 50 million years or so. Um, and he talks about a lot of the, the ways that like, it's been important for 
many of the animals there. Um, but there's a quote on page 63. He says, a quarter to 90% of all the nitrogen in um, hair and bones of grizzly bears of the Columbia River Basin and its marine origin, um, salmon accounts for more than 90% of the nitrogen of Alaskan brown bears. So basically salmon is literally in the DNA of other animals as well. So super important, super nutrient rich. Um, and also there's like a section in here, which I think is, should be the title of this episode. And it says, who is she? And I just love that. <laughs> who is she? She's salmon. Yeah, who is she? That's a good, yeah, I saw that. Um, but yeah, I mean, salmon is, probably one of the most important species ever and then in another section the story of interbeing in five acts he talks about the way that um you know the entire ecosystem and ecosystem is um connected and this isn't necessarily the one with salmon but he talks about um in lake superior which is part of the u.s and canada um, that wolves eat moose and they have like a really good predator prey population. Um, however, if the moose, uh, if there's too many moose and they're not, there's not enough of them um, eaten by the wolves that can impact the forest and the foliage and ultimately impact like the amount of um, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere because if they're not eating a certain amount of foliage or if they're eating too much and there's like, you know, not enough moose are being eaten then you're not gonna have that same like tree canopy that you would have. Um, and that that ends up impacting the whales because there's a layer of sunlight in the outermost, like that reaches the outermost part of the water column. Um, and whales like to hang out there and they like to feed on like plankton and small fish. Um, and if there's too much sun, it can cause some of these things. Oh, where did Liam go? Bye Liam, um, I'll just continue. Um, but it can cause, um, like the sunlight can absorb some of the, of the carbon dioxide that's in the water and create like organic compounds so that the, um, plankton is more likely to sink. So basically like if these little green drifters is what he calls them cannot live on the sunlight. So if like, um, like not enough gets through. Um, and the carbon dioxide that it will impact the whales. And there was a quote in here. He said, sometimes the whales will dive down and not come back up. And I was like, I've never heard of that. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I was like, okay. Um, Subtly but, mentioning whale suicide. Yeah. I'm like, excuse <laughs> me. Like, it sounds like peaches being like, I'm not getting enough food or attention. So I just need to die. Like ridiculous. Um, but yeah. So basically he just like, talks about the interconnectedness of it and how everything is so important. And all species are important, but I mean, it's very obvious from reading this that salmon are especially important. Um, yeah. He has a quote on page 74. He said, the world is a network of inseparable relationships, complex, non-linear, non-hierarchical, and often unexpected. And I think that is just like nail on the head of like, we all just need to remain balanced, whatever that looks like. Well, another note, so like how you're talking about, we don't need to assign animals an emotion to care about them. I also feel like we shouldn't need to assign like a specific conservation value to conserve a species. Yeah. It's like with salmon, clearly they're very important and 
argue and every everything's important but there are some species that are arguably more important than others mm-hmm. um but i just think like even if they weren't like we shouldn't need to be like oh they literally are a keystone species if we lose them we lose everything else like um i think a lot about like things with the deep sea and deep sea conservation because it's just kind of starting to ramp up if there's going to be a lot of impacts because we don't even know right what these a lot of these animals are doing for the the world we know that the deep sea has a very like we need the deep sea we need it intact it's a key part of the world but we don't specifically know every little critter and what they're doing and but we still just need to conserve it but the problem is if we don't see a value like an immediate value in the conservation like we would with salmon like save salmon bears orcas trees yada 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 are all safe too but if we don't see that people really don't care which is annoying because that shouldn't be the baseline of conservation. Correct. It should be just preserving biodiversity in any capacity, whether or not we can eat it or it looks good, or we like can go and dive and see it immediately or like go watch a salmon run and be like, look how pretty they are when they're red and dying. Yeah. No, I think that that's a really good point to bring up. And I like oftentimes find myself thinking about the way that we value animals And the way that we value nature, especially working in the whale watching industry, because, you know, obviously at times, like it does feel like it's exploitive and like, you know, people feel like, like we, you have a unique opportunity on the boat to show someone a whale and be like, listen, this is a whale. And let me tell you about the Southern residents, even though this is a humpback whale. And let's talk Mm -hmm. about how like these animals need help. Um, but it's like people definitely don't care as much unless that they have the opportunity to interact with it, I think, or it like eat it or whatever. And like, it is sad. And I think this is part of humans becoming more disconnected from nature. Like we are still a part of nature, but like, of uh, like not being able to just see a species like intrinsic worth for just being and not like being able to accept that it's a part of the ecosystem like too many people are just like okay with like environmental um exploitation and like completely wiping out like rainforests or parts of the ocean or species for the sake of like gain in the moment and it's just like I think ultimately like this is something that we need to address like societally as to why these narratives are getting pushed but then also address it within ourselves of like okay why is it more important for me to um you know go take a bunch of palm oil from the rainforest that I can make a million dollars right now versus the benefit of those rainforests and everything that inhabit them or why is it more important for me to go get way closer than a whale than I need to like why do I feel the need to like get clout or get money from getting too close to a whale versus you know, watching this whale from a respectable distance or, you know, with the salmon as well. Like you can make a million examples. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, did you watch the new Don't Look Up movie on Netflix? I have not. Have you, Liam? No, I I don't ever, I don't watch streaming. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's an analogy essentially for climate change, but it's a giant comet coming towards earth. And in the, this is going to be a spoiler for the movie for anyone listening. It's not like it's like Spider-Man, but it, just in case. But uh, they, the scientists want them to destroy the comet because they, they know six months in advance that it's coming. But instead, as it gets closer, some scientist, not scientist, some tech guy figures out that that has a ton of awesome 
like raw materials on it so they could mine the comet to get money from it and get rich instead of destroying it and saving humanity, which ends up being awful because they can't test anything and it fails and everyone dies. The earth is ruined anyway. But I thought I was laughing watching it. because I was like, this is literally like what we've become because of capitalism. And we see it with the climate emergency, a little different because you can't really profit off of yeah that you were actually, we're losing money, but we choose not to act now because we can keep getting rid of the palm oil until it's too late. We can keep um, overfishing. We can keep, create like using oil and gas and all that kind of stuff as much as we want until it's too late so that people can get rich it's um, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah so it's like there the, yeah so in a way the question is do we preserve society or do we preserve humanity is it roughly like well here's the thing it's like we're like i think that you can like save humanity by trying to fix society basically yeah i think the issue is we don't see ourselves as a part of nature anymore so without and that's why we only see we only want to save stuff that will profit us or that we just are emotionally connected to like elephants most people love elephants they never seen an elephant but there are great commercials about elephants yeah and everyone loves elephants but like little critters don't get that like there's a huge issue with freshwater biodiversity loss but no one cares because people prefer salt water myself included but we have to know there's an issue with freshwater systems invertebrates make up most life on earth but there's very little with invertebrate conservation it's all megafauna those kind of things because we care about those because we either have assigned something in ourselves to them or it values us saving tuna means we get to eat tuna but yeah. because we are so withdrawn. So I think we could save a lot if we were like, oh, we're here too. Yeah. Humans can't just up and leave the planet when the climate yeah. crisis becomes an emergency, which I, it already is in many places, but we're yeah. privileged to live somewhere where it's not exactly there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like the thing that I just don't understand is like how, where the, like, how there's that disconnect because it like, it doesn't matter what you eat, whether you're a vegan or you eat like, you know, anything or whatever, but like you need food to live. You need water to live. There is no, like obviously processed foods exist, but like you have to manufacture that out of something. Yeah. Like, and I just don't understand like where people are like, where the disconnect is between do I need this planet or not? Like, yes, you do. You need the planet to live. Sorry. Um, but also the other thing too, is like, like so many people want to get rich and like I challenge the people who care about being rich or care about being famous or care about whatever egotistical thing it is that they care about to like is that actually going to make you happy like what is the reason why you want that because like and this is just purely anecdotal but like every person that I've met who has ever been like wealthy or who has ever been like chasing something for the sake of like fame, money, et cetera, whatever status is ultimately never happy. And it's like, I don't think that like, like you're not going to lead a fulfilling life where you truly feel whole as a person. If you're constantly exploiting a group of people, a group of animals, a area of land, like you're never going to like, no amount of money is ever going to fill whatever part of your soul that you're missing. And like, this is obviously like, just like my opinion on something, but like, 
you, I, I think people need to address why they think that that's going to make them happy because congratulations, you can have like design or whatever. And like, I'm sure it would be great to like have a private jet where you can just yeet off to wherever you want to yeet off to. But like, you know, there it's, I feel like that ultimately isn't worth it. And like, I've never met anybody in a situation like that, that has truly been happy or truly been fulfilled. And like a lot of times, and like the places where I've gone, which I've been privileged enough to travel to where people do live more simple lifestyles and they like live in like a village style um, situation where it's like, you rely on your community, you go and get your water from somewhere, you bring it back. Like, obviously there are still issues and those societies aren't perfect, but like from just like an anecdotal personal experience perspective, it seems as though there's um, more contentment and happiness, like in a simpler life, more connected to the earth. Just my thought. Yeah, I think it's probably, or well, I think there's probably my, uh, my opinion is that the idea of wanting to be rich, successful, famous, whatever is, I guess there's probably some level of security that makes people feel uh feel um well there, i guess i guess it's just because that kind of thing can bring a level of uh, of security that a lot of people um don't have and sure. i guess people just don't they don't want to feel like they're being restricted by something that they don't feel is necessary and that and why yeah. they think that can be for a number of reasons and i can understand that but it's also like there's enough like resources, there's enough like food and water and like infrastructure to go around to like make sure that people yeah. very basic needs are met. And that's not the case. Um, and yeah. so it's like, let's get to a point where we can do that. But it's like, you know, obvious, like, but that's just kind of life. Like I, like, obviously I get that, you know, humans probably want to hack the system because you want that sense of security. You want to make sure that like when the climate change crisis does happen, that you've got like someplace somewhere safe to go with your family and like you have a backup plan. I get that, but it's like at the same time for the greater good of everyone else and, you know, the planet as a whole, like you, like, you know, ultimately need to make better choices because cool, like maybe you saved yourself from, you know, this whatever situation it is, or you've created a sense of security for yourself, but ultimately it's not security because if, if the planet is overall continuing to go down the path where we exploit everything, we take advantage of everything, we deplete resources, like bees are endangered. If we don't have bees, like you're going to starve. Like it doesn't matter how rich you are, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, and I don't want to like, also I, when I made the comment about like people that like live a more simple lifestyle, obviously there are still issues in those communities, like with healthcare and clean water, like depending on where you live and they're not all the same. And it's not like, I don't want to like glorify and be like, oh my gosh, like living off the land and whatever is so easy and simple and happy. Like, it's not like that, but like, I think the point of that comment was just like, I think people who have a connection to the land and their communities seem to have a certain level of happiness that maybe you can't get from being a billionaire yeah yeah so lots to think about with this with this book do you guys have any other thoughts Uh, Um, I can just tie it back to salmon so it's tie it back to salmon so we can come full circle yes um so like with the the comment analogy from this movie there's something detrimental coming straight towards you, but people only look at the value you can find from it. 
you could look at that with like the salmon industry. There's obviously a ton of profit from the salmon farming industry, but we know the detriments that it can cause. We know there are solutions that can help it be less detrimental. Mm. Um, but we could, but organizations, companies, governments continue to do this while wild salmon populations deplete. And once they do, you're kind of just stuck with these quote domesticated or just food salmon salmon that we have for food completely genetically modified and that will have a huge negative impact because like for example here in the north pacific they're not even pacific salmon it's atlantic salmon yeah um and we we know we are well aware that that is an issue and this Mm -hmm. the book points out the i think it was um an official in Norway even mentioned the benefits of um, what is it called enclosed salmon farming so not open pen in the ocean salmon farming so like pens yeah in tanks up away from the ocean yeah that, that would be nice if they could get it to function really well because yeah. it would get rid of the environmental impacts it would have its own environmental impacts but it wouldn't have the sea lice you wouldn't have the escapees all that kind of stuff and so it's something the industry knows is going on mm-hmm. and yet it is business as usual in a lot of places. Right. And it's going to be that way. And eventually if it continues, will the wild salmon will essentially be no more. There may still be small populations, but not to the point where we, they used to be, or they could be if we fixed it. Um, I think that's what I, I kind of like where this book is going is, mm-hmm as you're reading it, you're seeing that there is not a lack of evidence of the impact to salmon by salmon farms. It seems is the the big theme, but people still are doing what they, they can because it's profitable. And then a root of that issue is just how we see other creatures besides ourselves. So hence the philosophy to look inward and look at who is salmon. It's repeated a bunch. Like, that yeah, is the who question. Is who is salmon? Not who, what is, but who is. Yeah. Yeah. The way no. we frame looking at creatures needs to change. Absolutely. There's a benefit when we say, what is a salmon? Which I think we kind of know mm-hmm. after years of science. We know what a salmon is. But now oh, we're yeah. at a point we should look at who. That's right. I just realized, I'm sorry, but that just, you're, that, that literally just made me realize that there was a passage, I think, early in like in chapter three. Let me see if I can quickly find it. But it was on how, you know, how we're viewing, uh, on how like just the very way, just the very way we talk about something um, and how, and the very way that we view it. Like, let's see, where was it? I think it was like right here. It was like, oh yeah, it's this passage is on like 34. They assume uh, that scientific classifications do more than depict the world objectively and truthfully. Such classifications also help shape and condition the very circumstances they describe. So so ultimately, it's like just the very way that we talk about things. On on that subject, uh, Kendra, you were talking about, about how the author was uh, was was saying who is salmon rather than what is salmon just the very way we word something can um can influence um can influence how we see it so just how it's described to us can either mean that it's a living thing or as 
as uh, one of the early ecologists believed that it's just a machine that it was that yeah that the the early uh another thing in the book was that early um early ecologists thought of the biosphere as a giant machine with a bunch of little machines mm -hmm. yeah definitely lots to think about and i recommend anyone who doesn't have a copy of this book to go find a copy of this book um and read it because it's like it's just good to think about things differently and like mm -hmm. gain some new perspective i think this book is really good at doing that yeah it's definitely like there are i, I don't know where what the end of the book is i haven't read it all before mm -hmm. and part of me is a little bit like worried it'll almost get in because it's kind of given some vibes in some sections i think just because our immediate reaction are things like seaspiracy where it is just like pushing veganism and yeah. making you look at the emotions of an animal um but i do wonder where it's gonna go um because i think that you can eat meats whether it's fish or chickens or cows or insects whatever it is sustainably um so that's just that's just my thought and something i'm wondering if this is where it's gonna go but um because I don't know, that'll kind of, that'll be interesting to see if the author brings up more sustainable methods, if he thinks there are, that we can yeah. have salmon and especially farm salmon. Yeah. So I think most people understand like you, we can do wild salmon in a sustainable way. And the issue is a lot of times yeah, the, the, these farmed salmon. Yeah. Um, and Alexandra Morton has a good book about the salmon farm industry. I haven't like fact checked it, yeah. I'd be interested to talk to like a fishery scientist too about that book. Beside the point. Um, yeah. I love it, but I also love and understand. I love facts and understand bias is, 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 is a thing. Bias is a thing. And it's always good to fact check and it's always good to take things with a grain of salt and like, you know, uh, the whole fisheries thing, like there's a lot of controversy out there and like any, area where there's science there's like also mm -hmm. fake science and yeah. science is like funded by people with special interests so like you know take everything with a grain of salt but like yeah. you know do your best and yeah. that's all you but really even like my own immediate reaction to reading some things where I'm like oh I was like why am I reacting this way like just because we're talking about I don't even eat salmon and yeah. I'm, that's the thing I don't eat salmon at all um I mostly because I don't like how it tastes but even reading it um it's just, I don't know, it's very interesting to think about wildlife in this way because I tend to be more sciencey. Yeah, definitely. So I do like it for that reason. I think even people who are like pro fishery, mm -hmm. um, pro salmon farming should pick it up at least to like maybe challenge thoughts or be an engaging read and yeah. whatnot. Um, as the book continues, we'll see if I change that recommendation because some pro fishery people may get really angry with certain parts of it oh well, I and, think people but just, even then I'm like if it challenges what you think yeah I people need to be open to all perspectives and like you can have whatever emotional feelings that you have on information that is presented to you and that's fine but it's yeah. still important like I mean obviously don't go out and be a jerk to people because of it but like you still need to be able to have the communication skills to like communicate why you don't like that and yeah. like, I mean, I think it could be important to communicate, hey, like, 
oh, like I do recognize that this is considered a fact. Um, however, like this emotionally makes me feel this way because it affects my life in this way or because I've always been brought up to think this way or whatever. And like, yeah. So I think that's important, but I think it's always important to understand other perspectives. Like, yeah. Well, know, even be open to it. Yeah. Well, and like even contrasting, I feel like I'd recommend this over the Alexandra Morton book to like a pro fishery, pro salmon farm person, just because of the philosophical aspect of it laying out. I'd recommend both because I do think that book lays out the like essentially origin story. That sounds weird of salmon farming in like BC. Yeah. Um, but this one is it's just even philosophically thinking about salmon and then scattering in the history. And partially too, I'd be interested to hear rebuttals because I like rebuttals, even with something I really like, like this book so far. I wouldn't be against listening to someone be like, I don't like this book and I'm going to source and say why. Yeah. Or if it's inaccurate in certain places, why not? And even if it's just an emotional reaction, because like that's how I think about some, some topics of veganism. Yeah. There are sustainable ways to eat meat, but I totally understand when people just are against it morally because that's totally valid. And I think everyone should hear that out and also understand that that's a valid reason to not eat meat. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Yes. So eager to see where this goes. Yes. Eager to see where this goes. And yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being here. This was not a very short episode, but whatever. It was. I feel like it's under an hour. It's under an hour, so we'll just. That's uh, pretty. That's fine. That's good. We'll take it. Um, but we will continue on to chapters five and six in two weeks. Um, and I will have episodes up as I can. But like I said, working on special projects and other things going on, so I haven't been able to devote as much time to this as I want to. Um. But enjoy the rest of your week and happy new year to everyone. Happy new year. Happy new year.